0: As my congregants will tell you, and for which they jokingly ridicule me, I'm not much of a sports fan. Of course, I have been to sporting events and enjoyed them, especially hockey, but I could not name the players on any team, its statistics, and in most sports, I can't even list the different positions of a team. I honestly don't know the difference between a safety and a tight end, for example, I joke that hundreds of trees gave their lives in vain in the days we used to have newspapers delivered to our house since the sports section was never, ever read. For me to show any interest in sports is highly unusual. For my wife to do so is downright bizarre. That's why when the NFL is so much in the news with its president, Godell uttering what sounds like words of contrition and sorrow, I stood up and listened at what he said, and it became breakfast conversation. These are unprecedented times indeed. The protests raging around the country are shaking institutions to the core. Police departments, which have fairly or unfairly been distrusted by communities of color, are confronting their own racial biases, because for the first time ever, so much that happens is videoed. How communities get remolded after this is anyone's guess, but there can be little doubt that in communities all around the country, tectonic shifts are happening. No one would disagree that football is one of those institutions. Its patriotic themes, the martial expressions used, like blitz or long bomb and so forth, fighter jets flying over the stadia during the national anthem is all very exciting and visually overpowering. The flag itself becomes the object of adulation, and the feeling of solidarity rouses the senses. So when the president of the NFL says he understands how much work needs to be done to address racism, and how peaceful protests will be acceptable from now on, he has felt the ground shift under him, and he, as a businessman, is shifting with it. By saying it without saying it, he is taking a knee with Colin Kaepernick, admitting that he was right, and that, more than anything else, is something astounding. The debate over the flag is one that keeps coming up. Is Kaepernick disrespecting the flag or provoking us to confront what the flag has come to mean for so many people, especially people of color? Remember, African Americans did not come to America like the Jews. They were hauled here, and in a sense, for too many of them, they are still in the belly of the ship. For too many people, that is what the flag represents. Or is the flag some kind of a sacred object that deserves respect no matter what? Some believe that it is simply a shmata, a rag on a stick. Others are sure that it is nothing short of a holy object. Actually, I think both opinions are right. It is a shmata on a stick, and it is holy. It is a shmata when the worst part of our American souls appeal to patriotism, and the image of the flag is used to justify bigotry. It is a holy symbol when the ideals of the flag it's supposed to represent is actually the goal towards which we strive as a country. All flags, no matter where they come from, carry a unique load. Both the past, present, and future of a nation are infused with individual meaning. No amount of coercion or acts of Twitter are going to force anyone to see the flag in a different way other than the way their souls resonate to it. For the NFL to publicly state that it was wrong is its admission that it now understands the consequences of ignoring or even encouraging what players have been talking about for a long, long time. While it is probably true that the most bigoted and jingoistic fans may complain and eventually boycott the games as they have said they would, the perception of real change will attract more fans and, more importantly, more advertisers. The NFL pins itself to the myth of American exceptionalism. The events of the past months, the pandemic that still rages, and the country's response to the singular racism too often ignored, if not officially sanctioned by police, has thrown a shadow on our very sense of moral superiority. A nation that can't or won't confront its racism, or whose elected officials can, with a straight face, tell the country that there is no real systemic racism in the country— is a country that has lost its moral compass. And in the midst of a pandemic which is still claiming the lives of thousands a day, how can we really speak about our moral superiority when officials act like it doesn't even exist? Not speaking about something doesn't make it go away. I think I learned that in grade two. Jews have always had this dynamic tension between a symbol and its concrete manifestation versus its meaning. For a couple of classic examples, ever wonder why people kiss the Torah during the march around the synagogue before the reading? Ever wonder why many of us kiss the mezuzah upon entering or leaving a home? And even these are symbols of things greater than the object itself, and the symbols are often infused with magical powers. I heard a story from my wife that one of her colleagues tripped on the way into her house. Someone suggested that it was because her mezuzah was not kosher and she needed to change it. Think of that for a second. The mezuzah scroll has a consciousness, or rather, that God sees the scroll as trafe, and so he decides to break a woman's ankle just to show how upset he is. That is when the symbols become talisman, and that is what the Torah calls fetishes. Symbols are supposed to be just that, symbols. It is what they are supposed to represent that is supposed to inspire us. They are not supposed to become clay kodesh, holy objects in their own right. There are relatively few objects in Judaism, and most of them are literally attached to the Torah. It seems the holiest thing in Judaism is a book. If dropped, it must be kissed. Some people extend this to all books, not just prayer books or other seafray kodesh, holy texts. But it is not the book we are kissing. It is the soul of the book we are apologizing to, not the paper and cloth it's made of. It's not unlike kissing a boo-boo on our child that tripped. We are touching their soul with concern and love, not simply kissing a skin and bruise. The protests against police brutality may very well be a pivot point in this country. They seem to be the birth pangs of an emerging awareness that business will not go on as usual, and that the everyday racism in the workplace, in the supermarket, or anywhere else must be addressed. Businesses and individuals can no longer count on the silent acquiescence of the majority, especially now when you say you may end up as Twitter with a full color and crystal clear video. As Bob Dylan once said, times they are a changin'. The emerging symbol out of this moment in American history may very well be George Floyd. But I think, rather, it is going to be a singular football player who took a knee and started a new phase of the conversation about racism that has turned into a megaphone with the broadcasted murderer of a black man by the police. The NFL is beginning to confront this publicly. Shut up and dribble. Yes, I know that's basketball and not football is an expression that is exposed for what it is. Dominant racism, implying that others are there for our entertainment and have no rights except the ones we give them. This is the thinking of the Roman Colosseum. And look what happened to Rome. Indeed, those who advocate shut up and dribble have a choice. Confront real racism and bigotry, or be left dribbling nonsense at the side of the road in an evolving society. This is not about a flag and its inherent holiness or whether it is a shmata on a stick. This is about the soul of this country and whether we will ever again be able to put the authentic moral authority upon our shoulders.